0: John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One Podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD. And I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream. Although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to imbucbd.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at imbuecbd.com. That's imbuecbd.com. Promo code John Z. This is episode number 83 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, Individual Number One is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We're broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective because, unfortunately... No one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. If you go to our Twitter handle, you'll see that we have made our second list of top impeachment Podcasts, believe it or not. In this most recent list, we are rated number six among all of the impeachment podcasts, and there are many. I had to wonder when I saw that we made the uh, ranking number six of the top 10 impeachment-related podcasts that we might have been higher if not for, for instance. Uh, Me taking Sundays off to go with my family to Disneyland as we did this past weekend or us having massive technical problems right in the middle of the impeachment trial, which limited the number of episodes we've been able to do. But hopefully we're back on track and maybe we can rise in those rankings. And now, uh, obviously, the impeachment trial is at the forefront of the news cycle. There's a lot going on. Uh, Basically, what's happening today as we tape this podcast is that the question and answer period, which will go on for the next two days, has begun. This is a bit uh, odd and another archaic element of the impeachment process where handwritten questions are given to Chief Justice Roberts. He then reads them, one from the Democrats and then one from the Republicans, going back and forth. For eight hours a day over a two-day period, the, uh, the the responses are limited, supposedly to five minutes. This should be a little bit uh, more dramatic, potentially, than the previous part of the impeachment trial, which was, in my view, a very flawed process. Uh, you have the Democrats having 24 hours to provide their case for the impeachment of Donald Trump. They took 21 hours of those. It was consecutive over several days, but without any response from the other side. One, it gets repetitive, and two, there's not a lot of drama. And and, and frankly, when the Trump team took over over the weekend, and they only took about 10 hours of their allotted 24 hours of time to respond. To the case against Donald Trump. It was even more boring because there was no one to even call them on all of their lies and distortions and nonsensical uh, pseudo arguments, some of which were contradictory not just to what the same people had said previously, but contradictory even within their own arguments. And so I'm not impressed with the entire impeachment process. We'll see how this question and answer period goes. But this is really all about, as it has been from the beginning, about setting up a situation for a vote on whether or not to add actual witnesses and documents. Now, you got to hand it to Mitch McConnell, uh, who is really running this whole show. He has managed to, in a way, and I'm sure this is on purpose, create a fake uh, conundrum. He has made the question not whether or not Donald Trump should be removed from office— He's made the question, should we even have witnesses and documents? Which, of course, is inherently... It's just flat-out ridiculous. If you're having a trial. I mean, if you're going to have a real trial, there ought to be witnesses and documents. That should be obvious to anybody. But we already knew that Donald Trump was not going to be removed from office. But McConnell has purposely and strategically set up so many hurdles... To prevent us from even getting to the question uh, of whether or not Donald Trump should be removed, that it's inherently a victory. Because in order uh, for there to even get close to a conviction, you got to at least have witnesses and documents. And that's still very much in question. And there's been conflicting reports over does Mitch McConnell have the votes? to prevent witnesses and documents. Does he not? Yesterday, there was a major report that he does not yet have the votes to prevent witnesses and documents. The It seems to be a little bit different today. You know what, I don't know what the reality is, but as I expressed in the previous episode, based upon my personal experience with Mitch McConnell and having watched him for multiple decades very closely, I do not like this guy. But this is not a guy I would ever want to play chess with. This is not a dumb guy. This is a guy who is a master vote counter. He understands the game better than anybody. And I am very skeptical of this emerging narrative that somehow he has been caught flat-footed by the whole John Bolton book situation, and that somehow he's lost control of his caucus, and that there's going to be witnesses, and then who the hell knows what's going to happen once that occurs. I am very skeptical. I'm not saying that's not going to happen, something like that, but I am very skeptical that that's where we currently are. Uh, and, and I have good reasons for that, which I'll explain shortly. But it, it certainly appears to me as if the plan, the Trump plan all along here has been to get through this with no witnesses, no documents. That way they can somehow in their bizarre worldview claim exoneration or vindication and that all this be done by Saturday. Saturday is the last day before the Super Bowl on Sunday. On Super Bowl Sunday, Trump is scheduled to do an interview with Sean Hannity, which, of course, is just going to be absurd. Uh, I mean, this is traditionally the Super Bowl interview is an interview that uh, is done by a major network news personality with the president, whichever network is carrying the Super Bowl. This year, it just happens to be Fox, which, of course, means that Fox News Channel gets to do the interview. And normally, it would be a real legitimate news person. Of course, Fox News Channel only has a couple of those left, maybe only one in Chris Wallace. So this year, they get uh, Sean Hannity to do it, which is, you know, frankly, just totally absurd. You cannot be serious! I mean, when NBC has had the Super Bowl, they never even would have dreamed of having, say, Rachel Maddow do the presidential interview. And frankly, Rachel Maddow would have been more credible with Barack Obama than Sean Hannity is uh, with Donald Trump. Someone tweeted at me when I mentioned this uh, that this was going to occur and how outrageous it was that they didn't realize that fellatio was allowed during the Super Bowl television broadcast, that the standards had clearly uh, been diminished. And now we're allowing uh, one man to give another man oral sex uh, live or well, actually taped on the Super Bowl broadcast, but that's what you can expect on Sunday. And and that's important, not just because it's outrageous propaganda, state-run media in the middle of the Super Bowl broadcast, the pregame show, but it's also important because I it's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that's the timing Trump wants. Trump wants that to be the victory moment. Trump wants that There might be the time when, to a massive audience, he is able to claim vindication while he's getting softball fellatio-type questions from his buddy Sean Hannity. Now, if it's not done, if it's not done by Sunday— not that this is going to necessarily change the content of the interview very much, but it might make even Sean Hannity a little uncomfortable <laughs> because it will further embarrass him even more than he will embarrass himself that he is not going to ask any legitimate questions about impeachment because impeachment not only would theoretically still be going on, but it would about to be about to get to the really hot and heavy part where you might have John Bolton, Trump's former national security advisor, testifying against him on the floor of the US Senate. Now I'm quite certain that Sean Hannity will either ignore it or or whitewash that and completely contradict himself cuz Hannity has been a huge Bolton fan for many many years, but you know, once you make the the ultimate sin of going against Donald Trump, you are kicked out of the church. <laughs> I mean, so you're no longer in the cult. Uh, and so that's not a problem for Sean Hannity, but it will at least make it a little bit more ridiculous, a little bit more uncomfortable if the trial is not over, sham trial as it currently is, if it is not over by Super Bowl Sunday. So that's the plan, in my view, uh, to get this thing over by Saturday. Are they going to have the votes to do it? And that is right now a very open question. The media narrative has been, partially because of statements by Susan Collins and by Mitt Romney, who have said that it's increasingly likely that there will be witnesses and reports that McConnell doesn't have the votes to stop witnesses and documents, that somehow this means John Bolton and maybe others will testify. What changed here was the breaking news about John Bolton's coming book. Now, we've discussed this previously in the podcast and you, if you listen to those episodes, you know, I am also skeptical of John Bolton in general because of the book. I believe that almost everybody in this political game, media game now, is in it for the fame or the money. And when you've got a book, that gives you a commercial conflict of interest. And a commercial conflict of interest means you are unlikely to do the right thing, the courageous thing, unless somehow it is in your self-interest to do so. And it has been difficult for me to figure out how is it in John Bolton's personal financial self-interest for him to come out 100% against President Trump in an impeachment trial. And to be clear, what allegedly he would say is, what we already know if you're a logical person, which is that Trump specifically told him that he was engaged in a quid pro quo with the Ukrainian government to get investigations of Joe Biden and Burisma and maybe the CrowdStrike uh, conspiracy theory in exchange for the military aid, which had been passed by Congress, to actually be given to the Ukrainian government as they fought off Russian aggression. That supposedly, according to the portions of the book that have been seen or leaked, uh, the manuscript, which is still being approved by our government for classification issues or potential classification issues, and that's a whole other story that uh, is ripe for potential corruption, but the, the reality is that that's been supposedly what Bi- uh, Bolton has said in his book. And, you know, of course, that would destroy a large part of the Trump- argument, but you know I'm even skeptical that that would even have that much impact. Yes, let's take a, a moment before we get there to realize how in a rational world, how significant this would theoretically be, right? you know and, and I would I would ask you to think back if when we found out about this story just a few months ago, if we had known that John Bolton was willing to testify under oath that President Trump, had admitted to the quid pro quo. I mean, that would have been off the charts, right? I mean, come on. It just flat out ridiculous. That would have been a huge, massive news story. And you know how I know this? Because Lindsey Graham, Trump's biggest defender, senator from South Carolina, a guy we talk about a lot, said so at the very beginning. He declared that nothing like that was ever going to be in evidence that he was not worried because there was never going to be that kind of a proof of a quid pro quo. Well, now we've got John Bolton apparently willing to testify that that's exactly what happened. Fox News Channel, uh, Fox and Friends' Steve Doocy said almost exactly the same thing, that, wow, it would be amazing if uh, someone like John Bolton were to be willing to testify to this effect, and now that that apparently is a possibility, saying, well, that's not, that's not a big deal, uh, no one really cares. So it, it, in a rational world, it is a huge deal. This is Donald Trump's own national security advisor a guy who used to have impeccable credentials on the right, a guy who even his critics like John Kelly, former chief of staff, with whom Bolton has famously fought over policy issues, has come out and said, I believe John Bolton. I believe him to be an honest person. I believe that he should testify. So this is a guy with great credibility, especially on the right, who is willing to confirm what most of us already know to be the case, that there's there really was a quid pro quo here. So I don't want to leave that reality without at least acknowledging, holy cow, uh, this should be, in a rational world, a massive deal and a game changer. But we don't live in that world. We don't live in a world of rationality. We don't live in a world where hardly anything matters anymore, especially when it comes to Donald Trump. And I am not convinced that even if somehow all this is verified, even if he testifies in the Senate trial, even if it goes exactly according to plan, that this would necessarily change very much of anything. To that point, let's even follow that theory. Let's pretend that Republicans are willing to buck Trump and approve witnesses. And then the next step would be, of course. The Trump team is going to object to Bolton testifying. They've already written a letter trying to get his book from being published which is absurd. I mean it is absolutely absurd and if and if a democratic president ever tried to do the same thing, republicans would be going bananas screaming about the first amendment. But, you know, hypocrisy is the is the new uh, rule of the day, especially on the right, especially when it comes to the the cult of Donald Trump. But he, so they're going to put up all sorts of roadblocks citing Bull crap of executive privilege considerations. They're going to try to delay this thing as much as possible. But let's pretend he actually then does testify, right? And let's pretend he says exactly what's supposedly in the book and he confirms there was a quid pro quo. In my view, all the Trump lawyers have to do is get Bolton to admit that Trump could have been joking or that there was another interpretation for what Trump said. It doesn't even have to be a situation where Bolton admits that's probably what he meant. It just has to be, well, yeah, I guess he could have been joking, or I guess there was some ambiguity, even the slightest bit of ambiguity in what he said, because he doesn't have a tape recording. Now, supposedly he's a copious note taker, and I'm sure that that's a value. But you remember, we're not living in a rational world. And so there's two, there's still two layers of the Trump argument. Well, there's ambiguity about his testimony, even if there really isn't. And then then there's the ultimate defense. The last line of defense, which is who gives a shit? No one cares. Uh, It doesn't matter that the president lied. It doesn't matter that he did this. It might be bad but it's not impeachable. That's what they're going to say. And that's what will be the, the the argument that will carry the day for at least 50, maybe all 53 of the Republican senators, and who knows, even maybe a Democrat or two. That's the reality. So I'm not convinced that even if everything we're being told is true, that Bolton it, it has the goods, that McConnell doesn't have the votes, that he's actually going to testify, uh, that that uh, the, the delay tactics won't work. I mean, if even if everything goes exactly perfectly right, I don't think it's going to have that much of a difference. Now, there might be a political impact. I'll acknowledge that because, and this is probably why Trump fears this more than the substance. Trump is smart enough to understand it's not really the substance that he fears, although he clearly, based upon his tweets today, he fears something. I think he fears the the television moment. I think he fears the ratings because right now the American people's attention is not focused on this. Far more people care deeply about the death of Kobe Bryant, especially here in Southern California, than care about the uh, impeachment trial of the president. But if you get John Bolton in, in the Senate live uh, testifying, which is, by the way, I'm sure one of the things that the Republicans are going to probably do if they are forced to allow Bolton to testify, is to do it, you know, via a taped deposition or something like that, because they know that a live uh, testimony by John Bolton will get eyeballs, that will get ratings, and that means potential political damage, not from the point of view of him being removed from office. But wow! This here we got this guy who's a Republican. He's well known. Uh, Trump hired him, uh, and, and he's willing to say what a lying sack of crap Trump is. That's going to have some impact. That's going to leave a mark of some level. Now, you know, is it enough to ensure that Trump doesn't win re-election? Who the hell knows? But that's probably what they fear far more than the issue of how many votes, if any votes, they will lose with regard to impeachment. Now, let me backtrack a little bit on, on John Bolton, because I I have thought a lot about this, and I'm I'm uncertain as to where Bolton really is on this. I, I'm going back and forth, and I've talked a lot on this podcast about balls and old man balls right and how old men tend to lose their balls especially in the face of donald trump when they get old uh
1: i'm not gonna get into that
0: yeah and robert Mueller being the foremost example of this well ironically enough (laughs) there always seems to be a you know the kevin bacon six degrees of separation with john ziggler it's usually less than six degrees of separation on almost anything i talk about Because several years ago, back when Bolton was still working for the Bush administration, the second Bush administration, he did an event here in Southern California, which I attended. And uh, I asked him a question. And I liked Bolton. I I disagreed with him uh, on policy on some things. He was a little bit too hawkish, even for me at times. But my question, believe it or not, not exaggerating, specifically and literally related to his balls. I said to him in my question that, in my view, he was the last member of the Bush administration to still had his balls firmly intact, which he appreciated. And the crowd uh, at the event appreciated it as well. I don't even remember what the rest of the question was. But it's ironic and maybe uh, important to note that this is a guy who I do believe and have even literally spoken to him publicly about uh, the fact that he does have balls, now, he's 71 years old. That's certainly in the old category. He, he's at the last chapter of his career. Does he have the type of balls to have this be his ultimate legacy for a situation that is not going to result in the removal of Donald Trump? Trump is going to eventually, however long this takes, he will emerge victorious from this impeachment process. And so John Bolton, does he have the type of balls to say, you know what, I don't care that I'll never be allowed on Fox News Channel again. I don't care that my book coming out will not be bought by one of my former fans who happen to also like Donald Trump, which will probably be about 80 to 90 percent of my fan base. So I will lose the natural fan base for my book forever. Forever, because let's be clear, this is not a situation you can come back from once you cross Donald Trump to this degree. You're not allowed. You're just not allowed to do it. So you're you will no longer be allowed to speak at any conservative event. Uh, you know, not even the Reagan library here in Southern California. You're done. It's over. You are kicked out of the mob. Uh, and, and you might even, you know, and forget about a horse's head in your bed. Uh, you might end up being very concerned, maybe more literally than figuratively, about even uh, uh, turning on your car in the morning. I mean, y- you are a, a dead person, at least figuratively, on the right. Now, left already hates John Bolton. Now, the left will be cheering whatever he does if it's as advertised. If if it hurts Donald Trump, but are they going to really buy his book? Because, you know, the rest of the book is going to be stuff that the left isn't going to be interested in or most of it. I mean, I'm sure that there's I mean, there's going to be negative Trump stuff in it. Yes, the media will provide coverage of the book, but that doesn't translate into sales. And I don't know the nature of his book deal. How much of it was in advance? How much of it is based upon how many are sold? But that's going to take bigger balls than we're used to seeing for John Bolton at 71 years old to say, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care. I I know I'm done. This is the last chapter. Uh, I I think what Trump did was wrong. And I'm going to go down in history as being at least on record for saying what really happened and what didn't. Maybe he does have those type of balls. I've just become so skeptical, so cynical about almost all of our leadership and, and i know half jokingly half seriously about this theory that powerful old men lose their balls in old age that i i will believe it when i see it now if there's anybody that is capable of it based upon past experience it's john bolton i i'm just i'm just not there yet in believing it and i'm not even 100% although i'm 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 less than 50% that this is a legitimate concern, especially based upon Trump's tirade against Bolton today and the way that the conservative media is just destroying John Bolton, just like they did Robert Mueller, just like they did Adam Schiff. I mean, whenever someone is a danger, that's what the Trump people do. It's attack and destroy, because that's the only thing they know. Correct. And it's just like the mob. Correct. Uh, and that, so, but that's, that's the way that Trump operates, Donnie Soprano type. But uh, if, in fact, uh, all of this happens as as is advertised, uh, I still question whether or not it will even have any real impact. And that's the part that Bolton has to know. I mean, Bolton has to know that he's going to be giving all of this up for maybe nothing. Now, he's also in a situation— Where is this? Is where I was getting to before about okay. Where there, I have another cynicism, another skepticism, it it, which was diminished by the reaction of Trump and the the, and the conservative media, and that's this. Is this all potentially a trap? I'm not giving Trump enough credit for this to be some sort of a Machiavellian. Uh, you know, amazing chess move, 18-dimensional chess, where they have now trapped the Democrats to uh, a situation where they are begging for John Bolton to testify, and then Bolton testifies, and it's a dud. And if anything, maybe even it somewhat uh, helps Trump in some ways. Is that possible? And uh, yesterday, I'm thinking, you know what, this feels like a trap. This feels McConnell is too smart for this to have taken him by surprise and Bolton I just can't believe is gonna go through with this to the point where it's gonna destroy him for the rest of his life on the right wing so I started to get this feeling it's just a feeling this smells like a trap this smells like the Democrats are uh you know you know don't throw me into the that that uh, uh, that prior Bush uh, situation—that uh, you know—they don't—I don't, don't want to—you know—this is the classic situation of where be careful what you ask for; you might just get it. And I don't believe that quite as much today because Trump really went after Bolton hard. I mean, in a way that was very emotional and not calculated. And Trump, let's face it, is not a chess player. He's barely even a checkers player. And so I don't believe that this is all some sort of conspiracy. Is it still a situation, though, where Democrats, maybe even subconsciously, don't really want Bolton to testify? Because let's look at this in the big picture. And I talked about this previously, but it's worth mentioning again. So often in politics, the reality is actually the opposite of what people say it is or what it appears to be. And I'm even of the belief, even though I think this is a sham trial and it's a disgrace and there ought to be witnesses theoretically, in a a weird way, I almost think the better scenario, is for there not to be any witnesses, for there not to be any new documents to show what a complete sham this trial really is so that the Trump team cannot claim, well, we gave the Democrats what they wanted and Bolton's testimony turned out to be eh, not that big of a deal. They just didn't have a case. And then every single Republican votes to acquit. They might even lose a Democrat or two and Trump is more able to claim vindication and exoneration. That's, that, that scenario, to me, is way worse than if it's just a complete sham, and it's obvious that it's a sham, and even people like my wife, who are, are skeptical of, of Trump, but basically Republicans and are willing to vote for him again, even people like my wife feel like, wait a minute, that didn't pass the smell test. That didn't feel right. I would actually be feel better about that scenario going forward because if you're not going to do a full trial don't give me this half-assed version where you can claim vindication when it really was a bunch of baloney. So and I'm I'm I think that there are Democrats who feel the same way that I do that That witnesses is are a double-edged sword, especially when Republicans are going to scream and yell. Well, then this is the most bogus argument of all time. But uh, somehow, if you get uh, John Bolton, we should be allowed to call Hunter Biden. Well, it would just totally and, t- and completely it's just flat out ridiculous uh, to anybody who's not a cult member uh, 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 of the Trump team. I mean, it's just absurd. This trial is about Donald Trump. Hunter Biden didn't witness anything. Hunter Biden has nothing to do with any of this. They're trying to make the argument that somehow Trump was justified in investigating corruption involving Ukraine. But there's no evidence that he ever was interested in any corruption in general or specifically to Ukraine on anything other than the Bidens, because obviously Joe Biden is his biggest threat in the 2020 election and this other crowd strike conspiracy theory. Uh, which has other potential motivations that have nothing to do with our national security, uh, and in fact are against our national security because it's a it's a Russian propaganda uh, conspiracy theory, but have only to do with what Donald Trump perceives to be in his own self interest, and that is the 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 basis of this whole situation. Trump was making decisions with our tax money intended for Ukraine's defense against Russian aggression based only in his own personal political self-interest. And that's why it was wrong. And that's why I believe that a very strong argument made that, yes, it's an impeachable offense. I've said many times, I believe that Trump has, has committed many other impeachable offenses that were far more egregious and probably more politically damaging if the American people knew the full and complete story. So is this a true trap for Democrats? Probably not. I don't think that that Trump is smart enough for that. I don't think Republicans are organized well enough for that, uh, partially because of, of Trump's schizophrenia and the fact that it's impossible to create a strategy based upon what he wants because it changes minute by minute and tweet by tweet. But I, I do think the reality is still the same, that witnesses might effectively be a trap for Democrats here. And while it, w- it would be great for there to be a real trial, look, John Bolton is going to tell his story eventually, whether it's when his book comes out shortly, uh, when he decides to do his first interview, whatever. That's going to be part of the public record. So that's not going to change anything. So I'm not that wrapped up in whether or not Bolton testifies. It's interesting. Uh, I am exceedingly skeptical that everything is going to go exactly as Trump critics would hope, and that Bolton is going to testify live uh, in the, on the floor of the Senate, and that he's going to destroy Donald Trump. That is a scenario that I find to be uh, very unlikely. We're talking about uh, less than 15, maybe less than 10% uh, chance that all of that occurs, uh, especially given the fact that the the Trump team, and this is another bogus argument, the the Trump team is apparently telling Republican senators, look, uh, if they, if you vote for witnesses, we're going to delay, uh, we're going to go to the courts, you're going to drag this thing on forever. So that, that's basically that's worse than a heckler's veto. That's the toddler's veto. In other words, <laughs> you can't do this, mom and dad, because if you do, I'm going. To have a temper tantrum that's off the charts and it's going to be painful and it's going to be long. And so you just got to go along and do what I want you to do. That's not the way this is supposed to work. And as far as uh, Trump's very hypocritical tirade against uh, John Bolton, there's so many elements of that that are worth mentioning. I just want to hit on a couple of them. First of all, you know, <laughs> And by the way, the funniest thing that's happened today is that John Bolton apparently liked on Twitter a tweet responding to Trump saying that Trump should fire the moron who hired John Bolton. I mean, that's pretty good. Correct. Right. I mean, John Bolton liked that tweet because and I was one of those, I'm sure, thousands of thousands of people who tweeted the same thing. When Trump went after Bolton today, I'm like, well, wait a minute, this is a guy who promised when he was running for election, that uh, he would hire only the very best people, and and instead, almost everybody who ends up leaving, he rips them to shreds and saying that uh, saying things that indicate they never should have been hired in the first place. And the Bolton example might be the most dramatic if you look at what the president said today. I mean, this guy, by his own words, is the worst. Uh, hire uh, of people in very, very important positions that I've ever heard of. I have never heard of any chief executive in any company ever ripping his own hires more than Donald Trump does. It's not even close. Correct. I mean, if, if anybody in the sports world, if a GM or an owner ever ripped their own hires for coaching positions, or or player transactions the way that Donald Trump did, uh, they would be run out of town. It wouldn't be close, and it's not just Bolton. He did it with John Kelly. He did it with Rex Tillerson. He did it with Steve Bannon. He did it with Jeff Sessions, Jim Mattis, Michael Cohen, Anthony Scaramucci, Omarosa, Don McGahn. These are all people he hired to incredibly important positions that when they left and they started speaking ill of him, he trashed not just them, but their credentials in most cases. The idea that they were even in the position that they were hired in by him. And so when John Bolton likes a tweet saying that Trump should fire the moron who hired John Bolton, uh, that's pretty good. And by the way, that was... That was the moment when he when I read about him liking the tweet that I no longer believed in the conspiracy theory, the conspiracy theory that this is all a big charade uh, and trap for Democrats clearly. Bolton is on board, with, at least philosophically, but does he have the goods to the point where it make would make any difference, even if he did testify live in the Senate, which I doubt will ever uh, actually happen? So there's a lot going on. A lot of this is complex. Some of it appears to be contradictory, uh, but uh, by and large, uh, I, I still think the most likely scenario is that this thing is probably done by Saturday because Republicans will be afraid of opening up this can of worms and Democrats will be quietly pleased that they get to be able to use the talking point of this being a sham trial between now and the November elections. I do want to mention a couple other things that occurred during the trial so far. Uh, As we mentioned in the last episode, Adam Schiff, the head of the Intelligence Committee, the, the Democrat who has really led the impeachment effort, I thought he was awesome. Uh, In in almost every presentation that he did, uh, he he focused on the most important things, which is the future and what the precedents we are setting now will mean, especially when it comes to a monarchy. That has been my number one concern in all of this is that Trump is a would be dictator, that he is creating a monarchy, that we are changing our system of government as we speak in, in a very, very dangerous and negative direction. And I found it very fascinating, quite hilarious and and more than frustrating that after hours and hours of tremendous presentation by Adam Schiff and Let's be clear. The reason why Adam Schiff has been targeted by Trump and the state run media and the cult is because he's dangerous, just like Robert Mueller, just like John Bolton. And he's dangerous because he's actually credible and he's actually really good. But after all these hours, the one thing that Republicans latched on to was when he cited a CBS News report that Donald Trump had been threatening, threatening Republicans in the Senate to have their head on a pike if they defied him on the votes regarding witnesses and documents and then eventually on his acquittal. And apparently when he did this, and let's be clear, Schiff said he did not know whether or not those reports were correct. He said that twice. He said he hoped they were not correct. He said that once. And yet when he was done, Lisa Murkowski, Republican senator from Alaska, that's all she focused on that she was outraged, outraged. Oh, she was clutching her pearls when she she was so upset that he would ever even imply that the president of the United States would try to intimidate members of the Senate, esteem judges and jurors in this trial into acting a certain way because they were fearing retribution from the president of the United States. Well, come on, please. First of all, Ship was making an important point about courage about how he understood that Republicans were going to face a lot of blowback if they did what he was asking them to do. And so it was legitimate to cite a CBS News report. Now, I don't know whether that news report was correct or not. It probably wasn't, because it frankly, it sounded a little too good to be true. And it sounded like one of these predictive reporting situations, and it was not a direct source. So, I mean... I had no problem with him referencing it, especially since he said he didn't know it was true and he hopes that it's not. The important part of this was that was an indication to me. Lisa Murkowski is desperate to find an out. Correct. She doesn't want to be doing this. She does not want to, to actually do the right thing and vote for witnesses and documents and the vote to convict. She's looking for some out. She needs an outrage off-ramp of this highway so that she can have some cover and some explanation, some rationalization for what she already wants to do in the first place, which is in her own self-interest. which is to not buck the Trump cult because if she bucks the president, I and that's the irony of this whole thing. The irony is effectively whether Trump said anything about a head on a spike or a pike or not, Murkowski's reaction proves it that that's the reality that's the fear that they're they are intimidated they are terrified of doing this so much so that they are willing to latch on to one comment uh, i mean hours and hours of substantive argument from Adam Schiff and say aha uh-huh, you know he really had me until he said that come on really you cannot be serious but that's the the cowardice of republicans and as far as does this sound like Donald Trump is this anything like Donald Trump, we have vast evidence that Donald Trump is more than capable of making a statement like that, that he, it's 100% consistent with how he acts as a mob boss. Donnie Soprano from the HBO series, The, the Sopranos, as I've referred to him many times before. And even some of that evidence came out in the last week. I mean, this Lev Parnas situation, how in the world this has uh, become so... Inconsequential is mind blowing, Uh, but I predicted this. I wrote a column after Lev Parnas gave his bombshell interview to Rachel Maddow on MSNBC. I said, "Look, this is amazing, but it's not going to have any impact. It's had an even less impact than I thought, and that's even when he has tapes. He has tapes that prove." a number of things, including the fact that he's credible and Donald Trump is not. Now, for those who don't know who Lev Parnas is, he's one of two of uh, Rudy Giuliani's goons, the big fixer in Ukraine. He was really the point person for this entire scam to try to get the uh, Ukrainian government to announce investigations into Joe Biden in exchange for their own military aid. And I was really stunned when I saw part of his, Parnis, uh, the interviews of Lev Parnas on both MSNBC and CNN where he was way more thoughtful, way more intelligent, much less of a goon than I had presumed because I was going by those photographs. He seems really smart. He was obviously doing a lot of wrong things, but it appears to me as if he has sincere and legitimate regret. Now, he is an indicted uh, felon, uh, on issues that aren't directly related to this, but uh, and so I'm not suggesting he's a he's a paragon of virtue or even a great guy. He was just a far more substantive person than I was expecting, and what he has said is now being verified by his own audio tapes. And these audio tapes, in a rational world, in any other president, this would be all we would be talking about. This is as big as it gets, especially when you understand the timeline, because. This is happening what I'm about to play you is an audio recording apparently recorded by Lev Parnas Parnas's voice is heard elsewhere on the same recording this is in 2018 this is Parnas with the president of the United States and he's recording him Now right there right there it's amazing it's amazing think about how many other recordings there are of private conversations uh, involving the president of the United States and the, and 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 this guy, this goon, who's doing his shadow diplomacy, or would end up doing his shadow diplomacy in Ukraine. But what's really amazing about this, not just that it's recorded, not just that what you're about to hear sounds like a mob boss ordering a hit on a U.S. ambassador to the Ukraine, Ambassador Yovanovich, who ends up getting fired. Uh, or, you know, whatever you want to call what do they do and get rid of an ambassador. Technically, I guess she wasn't fired, but the, she was she was removed from her position. But this is this is the president of the state acting like a mob boss. And Rudy Giuliani is not there. That's what's really amazing. This is Parnas and his and his buddy and apparently a couple other people with Trump without Rudy And that's important because the whole narrative has been, these were Rudy's guys. I don't know who they are. I may have taken some pictures with them, but I have no knowledge of who these guys are. Well, we now know based upon this audio recording, that's total bullshit. And there are a hundred other questions raised by this audio recording of Trump telling the people at this dinner meeting, to get rid of Ivanovich.
1: Get rid of her. Get her out tomorrow. I
0: don't care. Get her out tomorrow. <laughs> Take her out. Okay? Do it. Now, some of that's difficult to hear. The last portion is by far the most dramatic. Take her out. Okay? Do it. Take her out. Okay? Do it. Now, I'm even willing to give Trump the benefit of the doubt that he's not actually ordering a hit on her. All right? The 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 allegations that uh, that she was put on surveillance by this other nitwit named uh, Hyde, who's running for Congress as a Republican, Uh, I I don't buy. I feel like he was bragging. He's apparently a drunk. Uh, Parnas doesn't take it seriously. Uh, There's no evidence that it actually happened. That felt uh, like a red herring, and it has caused a lot of people to kind of lose their minds and say. Well, was this ordering an actual assassination of Ambassador Yovanovitch? I don't believe that. I believe he means take her out and he's bragging. He's president of the United States. He's acting like a mob boss. He means fire her. Well, then that, of course, uh, raises the question, why the living hell is he saying this to a guy like Lev Parnas? Now, there were other people at the meeting but he's doing this based upon a statement from Parnas telling him that she's predicting his impeachment, which by the way, she was right about. So the president of the United States is at a small dinner gathering with this guy who he claims not to know. So that's a total lie. And then he takes his word so strongly that he is willing to order her firing based upon nothing but Second-hand information that she's predicting his impeachment from this guy Parnas. Why is he saying this to them? I mean, forget about the inappropriateness of getting rid of the ambassador based upon this second-hand information from Parnas. But why is he doing this with them? Why? Do, why doesn't he do this himself? Interestingly, it did not happen, which is classic Trump, because. He didn't tell the right person or he didn't follow through or he changed his mind or he was just a paper tiger. Who the hell knows? But the reality is it didn't happen until much later. But the most important part of that whole thing, other than hearing the president of the United States recorded surreptitiously as a mob boss, is he lied blatantly, blatantly lied about his knowledge of Lev Parnas. And it substantiates Parnas' entire story— It proves him to be credible, and it proves Trump to not be credible. In a rational world, that alone might bring down a president. But in the midst of this entire shitstorm, uh, we've become so desensitized that no one's even really talking about it. And I doubt that Parnas would even be on the list of people called to testify at an impeachment trial. Frankly, I'd be more as interested, if not more interested... Uh, in Parnas testifying as I would be in Bolton testifying. And as far as this issue of Trump as a mob boss, we have further evidence of that in another outrageous situation that's not getting much attention. And that is this this bizarre episode with Secretary of State Mike uh, Pompeo. Remember, he's the Secretary of State. Secretary of State! Mike Pompeo his job, right, is to be a diplomat. He's the top diplomat. And he got apparently into an enormous fight with an NPR reporter uh, who said a number of incredibly inappropriate things to her. And then when she went forward publicly and 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 spilled the beans about this, he uh, uh, retaliated against her by kicking her off a foreign trip. Now, I this is a this is astonishing this is not the way the united states of america is supposed to work this sounds like a third world dictatorship but then here's the president of the united states referencing the the rift between pompeo and the npr reporter in a in another uh, clip that sounds like he's a mob boss and of course our
1: great secretary of state mike pompeo That's impressive. That was very impressive, Mike. That reporter couldn't have done too good a job on
0: you yesterday, huh? I think you did a good job on her, actually. I think you did a good job on her, actually. This is the way he views his position. He's a mob boss, a mob boss. And all of this goes back to pretty much directly, the way that he viewed the Ukrainian situation. I need you to do me a favor, though. This was, as John Bolton apparently has described it, a drug deal. And it was all about going after Joe Biden, who he fears as his number one rival in the 2020 election. And all of the impeachment... is is now an attempt to do what they couldn't do with Ukraine. Republicans are trying to use the impeachment trial to go after Joe Biden. And Joni Ernst, a Republican senator from Iowa, had the audacity— and Ernst was someone who actually thought was sensible— she had the audacity— to actually speak this out loud at a press conference in a way that shouldn't disqualified her from, from being a juror and a judge from this trial, but more importantly, exposed what this whole scam really was about. It's about attacking, smearing unfairly, inappropriately and without justification Joe Biden because he is their biggest threat in the 2020 election. And here's what that sounded like. Iowa caucuses, folks, Iowa caucuses are this next Monday evening, and I'm really interested to see how this discussion today informs and influences the Iowa caucus voters, those Democratic caucus goers. Will they be supporting Pres- Vice President Biden at this point? Not about that. At the end, she basically says she's not sure about that, basically implying that she believes that Iowa voters, again, she's a senator from Iowa, though she's a Republican, that Democrats in Iowa will not vote for Joe Biden. She's basically hoping that the smears that they are using in the impeachment trial will damage him politically enough in Iowa so that he doesn't get the nomination and so he doesn't get to be the person to run against uh, Donald Trump because that's the person they fear the most it couldn't be more obvious and it's even though it's astonishing that she actually inadvertently told the truth publicly Uh, Joe Biden, interestingly, used that in a campaign commercial in Iowa, which was in Iowa, which I thought was a pretty smart idea, because frankly, as the Republican senator in Iowa, there are not too many Democratic caucus goers that are going to view uh, her opinion to be of of much merit. I mean, because Iowa caucus goers are very, very liberal. They are the hardcore Democrats. They don't have a lot of regard for the Republican senator from Iowa. Uh, Now, uh, in a moment, we'll have a few uh, closing thoughts on this episode of the podcast regarding that current political situation, the Iowa caucuses, and where this is all going. But first, here's an important interview I did with Tom Bauer, the founder of our sponsor, Imbue CBD. Tom, thanks so much for joining us and for your sponsorship of the program. Please uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your company, Imbue Botanicals. Sure, John. Imbue
1: Botanicals produces really the most extensive line of premium clinical-grade, full-spectrum CBD products, including tinctures, capsules, topical lotions and salves, and even award-winning beauty products. They're available in multiple strengths for both people as well as pets. Our premium Colorado-grown hemp products are non-GMO, cruelty-free, and even vegan.
0: Now, a lot of people might not be that familiar yet with CBD. It's getting a lot of publicity. But for those who aren't, what is CBD and why do you guys think it's so important?
1: CBD is short for cannabidiol. It, it's one of the 115 or so cannabinoids that are found in the cannabis plant. It's generally accepted as the cannabinoid or or the element basically that provides the health benefits for cannabis. But science has shown really that CBD works best when combined with all the other cannabinoids and the natural terpenes that are found naturally in the plant, which is why our products are full spectrum, meaning they offer a full cadre of all the cannabinoids and terpenes for maximum effectiveness.
0: Now, Tom, you mentioned that Imbue uses hemp. Tell our audience, if you will, the difference between hemp and marijuana and why your product is not the latter. Great,
1: John. It's really important to understand this. You know, we're all familiar with medical marijuana. Our products are are not made from marijuana. They're actually made from hemp. Basically, hemp and marijuana are both the cannabis sativa plant. The difference is that hemp contains extremely low levels of THC, which is the cannabinoid that makes you high when you ingest or smoke marijuana. By law, hemp must contain... 0.3% or less of THC by dry weight. So, so low, basically, that you can't get high from the product. So, in essence, basically, with hemp, you get all the health benefits of medical marijuana without the high or the psychoactive effect of THC. I should also add here that Congress last year passed the 2018 Farm Bill, which essentially legalized hemp federally. And scheduled all the non-THC cannabinoids. So essentially, it's, it's, uh, it's legal, which obviously people want to know, you know, can, can I buy it? Can I use it? It's legal.
0: Now, when, when I use it, it's really helped my sleeping. I've only just started using uh, some of your products, but tell us uh, what are some of the benefits that our listeners might find if they, if they use Imbue Botanical Products?
1: Really great question, John. We're actually not allowed to make claims about CBD or products for the FDA. Just an aside, if your listeners come across sites out there that are making health claims, we should always just avoid them. Just You don't want to deal with, with folks like that. It's, it's not legal to do that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't health benefits to CBD. We at Imbue Botanicals always encourage our customers to do their own research. There is a ton of information and studies available on the Internet. You want to talk to your physician, your independent pharmacist, even your veterinarian. You know, become informed. We've seen some absolutely amazing things personally and with our customers. Obviously, you know, the onus, if you will, is on each individual to to go out there and, and do the kind of research to see if it may be a fit for the kind of things that they're experiencing. Also, you know, check out our website, which has a ton of additional information as well.
0: And that website is? It's
1: It's www.imbuecbd.com. That's www.imbuecbd.com.
0: Now, you mentioned the FDA. And just before we taped this interview, there was a a news story where the FDA put out a warning and sent letters to, I think, 15 different CBD companies. Yours was not one of them. It was perceived as the FDA basically, I don't know, seemed to be like backing away a little bit from CBD. What was your interpretation of what the FDA did and how should our listeners interpret it?
1: That's an extremely good question as well, John. And I think first and foremost is what the FDA is doing, especially when they're sending out letters to companies that they send letters out to, is doing their job. Their job is to really protect the American public. From you know, basically you know, drugs that shouldn't be there that aren't doing what they're supposed to do, that can cause harm, and also making sure that companies are doing what they're supposed to do. In the case of these letters, these companies were making health claims simply because of how FDA operates and, and the way that uh, you know, CBD, which is basically a kind of a, a brand new uh, thing for FDA, they're not allowed to make. You know, I'm glad that they're doing that. You know, we never make claims uh, at Inview Botanicals. That's something that, that is, again, is, is goes back to the customer to do a lot of their own research on. They also came out with some basic overviews and essentially said you should really know what you're doing before you take CBD. It's not necessarily something you should be taking in water and in food products. You should basically get the kind of information that you need and talk to your healthcare team, your physician, your pharmacist, your, your veterinarian. To make sure that there's a medical professional, you know, kind of assisting in the process.
0: Now, in my experience, having used the product and seen the packaging and everything, you guys are totally first class. But first class comes with some expense. You guys are a little bit more expensive than your competitors. Tell us, tell us why you bring more value.
1: We are more expensive than some folks, and certainly not more expensive than others. But uh, but we're we are a higher priced product, and the reason for that is. is where we grow how we extract how we formulate our products we do that for maximum effectiveness and you know what our folks tell us and whether they're the pharmacies that we sell to or the customers that use our product or patients who use our product every day they tell us that the product works and works better than things that the other products that they bought it's more expensive to do it correctly but ultimately that's obviously what customers want Mm -hmm. if you're going to spend the money they want something that works, and that's what our products do.
0: So, Tom, if our listeners want to buy your products or learn more about them, where should they go?
1: Go to our website. It's www.imbucbd. That's www.imbuecbd.com, imbuecbd.com.
0: Tom, thanks so much for your time and your sponsorship. John,
1: thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. Appreciate it.
0: Before I get to that uh, political situation and where we're heading uh, in the campaign, I do want to at least mention, because there's so many other things going on, the outer absurdity of Jared Kushner being the person to negotiate this alleged Israeli-Palestinian deal that, uh, that the president uh, was championing yesterday with Benjamin Netanyahu at the White House, this uh, faux peace deal. And I don't know uh, whether it's a good deal, a bad deal, a proper deal or not, but I know that it's not legitimate, uh, largely because the Palestinians didn't even show up. And Jared Kushner's statements about the nature of the deal are so inflammatory, so against any concept of diplomacy and trying to work out an actual deal to almost be comical. And of course, there's the idea that the, the president's uh, son-in-law, who's totally unqualified for this, is the person that is at the point person here, it's it's frankly absurd. I mean, the whole thing is just absurd. It's just flat out ridiculous. But again, in the midst of everything else that's happening, it doesn't get very much attention. And I'm sure there are some people who think, wow, the president, he just made another great deal. The president understands most people, like me, I just acknowledge, aren't going to know what the details of any of these deals are. So he makes them just so that he can pretend that he gets a win. And it works, at least with his cult. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily work for the national security of the United States or the peace process or or anything having to do with truth. Now, with that said, on Monday, the Iowa caucus begins the official primary season for the Democratic nomination. The caucuses are a very strange animal. It is bizarre to me that the Iowa caucuses are still taken seriously. They have very little to do with reality. Uh, this is a situation where a small percentage of the population, on what will likely be a cold night in Iowa, in at the beginning of uh, February, it, they come to their local uh, firehouses, schools, uh, sometimes even uh, you know places of worship, I, I believe, and even homes, and they actually publicly have to state their preference for who their a presidential nominee should be. And then after they publicly state their preference, they get the opportunity if their candidate didn't get 15% at that caucus site to pick a second choice. I mean, it's a bizarre set of rules that has nothing to do with how people will vote in November in a general election. Now, uh, for some reason, it's still given credibility. This is particularly weird on the Democratic side because the people voting in the Iowa caucuses will be about, and I'm guessing here, about 95 percent white, maybe more than that. And that is not representative of the Democratic Party as a whole. Uh, but the media still covers it. And, and therefore, it will, at least in perce- in perception, have some value. I have no idea who's going to win I'll talk more about this in our next episode on Saturday, which is when we're scheduled to do the next episode of the Individual One podcast. But the polling is all over the place. There's a lot of Bernie Sanders buzz going on. It does make sense that Bernie Sanders would do very well in Iowa because an Iowa caucus benefits someone with organization and who has a cult-like following. And that's Bernie Sanders. He obviously uh, still has an organization left over from 2016, and he has more of a cult-like following than anybody else on the Democratic side. So logic would dictate that Bernie Sanders would do very, very well and probably win in Iowa. Uh, There's a lot of concern that if he wins in Iowa and then wins in New Hampshire, which is nearby his home state uh, of Vermont, that somehow this will give him momentum and he'll be unstoppable. I'm sure we'll talk more about this going forward. But here's why I'm not as concerned about the Bernie Sanders buzz, even though it's very concerning, as uh, I might be otherwise. Because I do believe that there are a lot of parallels between Sanders in 2020 and Trump in 2016. But there are some major differences. I don't want to get too deeply into it right now, but let me give you the one difference in which I have the most confidence. Republicans in 2016 did not have anyone with the credibility to stand up, both the balls and the credibility, to stand up and say at the right time in the right place, knock it off with regard to Trump. There was nobody left. The Bushes didn't have that kind of credibility and George W. Bush didn't have that kind of balls and he was compromised because his brother Jeb was running. So if Jeb had not been running, George W. Bush might have been able, if he had the inclination, which I doubt, but if he had had the inclination, he could have stopped, stepped in and say, said, knock it off. This is baloney. We got to stop this. Donald Trump is not a Republican. That did not happen. And that was one of the many reasons why Donald Trump was able to pull off a coup in the Republican Party in 2016 and go on to win the presidency in a major upset. I am not as convinced that Sanders can do that because the Democratic Party in 2020 has somebody who does fit that bill. And his name is Barack Obama. Barack Obama, I believe, is willing and able to, at the right moment, step in and say, knock it off. Bernie's not the guy. And I believe that would be enough to prevent Bernie. Now, granted, he'd have to pick the right time. It would have to be done properly if it ever came to that. But that's why I'm not as concerned about Bernie Sanders as some people are with this connection between Sanders is the Trump of this particular election cycle. Uh, Now, let's go to Joe Biden real quick. I, I don't believe that Joe Biden needs to win Iowa or even New Hampshire. He just needs to be in that first pack, which I believe that he will There does appear to be an emerging weird dichotomy between how Biden is now actually doing better in the nationwide primary polls than he had been previously, but not doing quite as well against Trump in the general election, which seems to be contradictory and somewhat ironic. I believe it's largely because in some ways the Trump strategy is working that the constant discussion of the Bidens and Hunter Biden and Ukraine and connecting his name with corruption is having an impact among a very small sliver of independent minded voters with whom he was doing very, very well up until all this happened. So weirdly, I think Democrats are rallying around Joe Biden and feeling like if they don't vote for Joe Biden, that they're actually doing Trump's bidding for him. It's also preventing any of his Democratic rivals from really attacking him on anything close to this issue, because, again, they'll be perceived as doing Trump's bidding, which is a death sentence for a Democrat in a Democratic primary. So he's actually doing slightly better on the Democratic primary side. But I'm now getting concerned as to whether or not he can actually beat Trump in a general election a topic, which I'm sure we'll talk much more about in the coming episodes. As I said, we're scheduled to do another episode on Saturday, which may or may not be the end of the impeachment trial. So make sure you pay attention to when we drop that uh, episode number 84. Uh, As is always the case, please subscribe, rate, review and share this uh, show via social media. Follow us on Twitter at individual one pod. That's individual number one pod. And for the record, as we always do, Our percentages going forward are 8% chance that Donald Trump does not finish his first term in office, a 48% chance that he is, in fact, reelected. Until next time, my name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network.